and welcome to Hospice Insights, The Law and Beyond, where we connect you to what matters in the ever-changing world of hospice and palliative care. Year in review, key regulatory updates in 2023. Andrew, Adam, see now I can use either name and then (laughs) you will respond because I think I've done on both podcasts called you by each other's names. So here you both are. So so this has been a really, really interesting year we've had and uh, maybe a month or two ago, um, we put our heads together about actually counting up how many changes have, um, because I was starting to lose track and getting confused, and I think everyone else was. So we put pen to paper, not literally, figuratively, but, and came up with a a list. So, and we're going to sort of bounce through them fairly quickly, but we're just for all of our listeners, we're going to have a handout that um, highlights these two. So you can have that and this is now an, uh, like old reference right-hand drawer tool because um, <laughs> people don't even have a drawer on their desk because <laughs> they're, you know, working from the islands or something. But anyway, we were going to have a handout that's going to summarize this too. So this is just sort of the quick hits rundown. But um, Adam, maybe before we delve into the details, so how many when we do our little handout, are there 10? Is that how many there are? Yes, there should be yeah, about 10 in total Okay, updates that we have. It's a lot to keep track of. And I, I think this is, aside from all the audit and other enforcement stuff, this is all like new stuff that we're going to be talking about. Some of these things we have done independent podcasts on. So, you know, we're not going to delve into um, some of those, but in great detail, but the enrollment issues, which we're going to touch on, we had a whole, you and I, Adam, had a riveting (laughs) podcast conversation (laughs) on enrollment, which I'm still going to beat this drum that I think people need to spend more attention to because like half the changes that came out in 2023 involve enrollment stuff. It just shows that the government is very interested in um, what you're reporting, how you're reporting it, and creating greater transparency. All right. Now we're in this lightning round. So we're going to try to do all of this in in about 20 minutes. So let's begin, um, Adam, with you talking about this enhanced enfor- enforcement in these four states of Arizona, California, Nevada. So what is that? Did it start? What's going on? What's the news? Yeah, this was an announcement of enhanced oversight, and it came out earlier this summer, was effective July 13th. And this was, at least from my perspective, the first kind of the first in the sequence of regulatory provider enrollment updates that that came out this year um, that were all sort of geared toward ownership. But this is targeted uh, at four states, Arizona, California, Nevada, and Texas. And it subjects um, newly enrolled providers, providers undergoing a change of ownership, and providers undergoing 100% change of equity to prepayment review. on the effective date of enrollment or the change of ownership. And so CMS will select claims, some or all of the claims um, from providers and subject 
them to review. And there's a range, a time range that CMS will implement this advanced oversight. And it's between 30 days to a year. So a broad spectrum um, of how long a provider could be subject to that. So this, and Adam, you and I have worked on some projects that I think folks have, it's had a chilling effect, I think, already, like, because that's an immediate cash flow issue. I mean, there was new provider TPE, you know, in the past, but this is sort of an across the board, like, for sure, you're going to get on this, it could be 100%. And so this whole, you know, getting into hospice is not a cash intensive business, like, now you need cash flow for what six months or eight months or you know yeah. you're gonna need to be essentially having to pay not by your claims but by money that that you're investing into the business so uh, and, and I think importantly what you said is it's not just the change of ownership it's even if something qualifies as a change of information from an 855 perspective, if it's a hundred percent change, that also, right, is is catching people. Yep, yep, that's right. Yeah. So a little broader than traditional chow, like an asset deal. So yeah, that's definitely had a, a big effect on transactions for those four states, and we expect it to be expanded um, in the coming year. CMS has already indicated that they're going to expand this program, um, yeah. so it could have a more far-reaching effect this coming year. Yeah. Well, I think we've already seen the deal work while in the not-for-profit sector, we're working on many consolidations. I think on the for-profit side, we've seen a, you know, a bit of a downturn in some of those transactions. And I think as there's, I mean, there's still transactions going on, but, you know, the, you know, who needs or who wants to, to buy is changing and things like that. And, um, you know, the the sort of random person that says, I want to buy a hospice, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> and obviously CMS wanted to have a chilling effect, right? So yeah, so anyone who, who has a problem with cash flow disruptions is <laughs> going to have a problem with this role. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they have a lot in the bank. So, yeah. <laughs> so Andrew, now turning to sort of bread and butter hospice yes. regulatory stuff. This current, the wage index for, well, it's 2024, but yep. it was 2023 this came out. Unlike other years, which your very first podcast you ever did, whatever year that was, yes. um, you got assigned <laughs> um, to talk about a new rule update. Other years, there's been a lot of meaty stuff in the rules. Here, not so much. And some of it's actually a bit more favorable to hospice, providing greater flexibility. But let's start with the one that operationally is probably going to be, you know, the most difficult. And I put that in air quotes because it's I, I think you just need to develop the system to do yep. it. But this is about the certifiers for hospice need to uh, be enrolled in Medicare or validly opt out. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So this requirement actually goes into effect in May of 2024. So we get a little bit of breathing room here. But just like you said, 
hospice certifiers now must be Medicare enrolled or validly opted out of Medicare. So this would apply to, again, every physician that certifies a hospice patient as terminally ill. So not just your hospice physicians, but also we're talking about the first benefit period and the patient chosen attending, those attending physicians too would have to meet this requirement. And, you know, what does it mean to validly opt out of Medicare? Essentially, it just means that you file this affidavit with the MAC that essentially says, I'm not going to bill Medicare. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of required terms in that affidavit, but the, the, the submission process for that is fairly simple. You essentially send in that affidavit and then you are, uh, you are not in Medicare for a two-year period that automatically renews for an additional two-year period unless you, um, mm. I guess, opt out of that opt out 90 days prior to the next two-year opt out period. And I think the word to the wise here is get the paperwork, the get what they filed with Medicare. I assume you would get some letter yep. in response to your affidavit saying, yes, you're validly opted out. I wouldn't just take people's word for that because this probably could become a payment issue because someone's going to say you don't have a valid certification if they weren't validly opted out. And given all of the various enrollment challenges, We've dealt with over the years, you know, you don't want to to risk that. So I think and I would it, also say yeah. just, just be careful about physician services, too, um, because, it, you know, the, the sort apart from the certification, just like you said, but if the physician that isn't in Medicare, but they're validly opted out, if they're providing, you know, physician visits that the hospitals would otherwise want to bill to a Medicare patient, you cannot bill Medicare for that. In fact, the, the physician actually has a requirement to privately contract with the hospice patient in that case. So essentially, you're going to run into some kind of billing bur uh, uh, hurdles and burdens, I would say, um, yeah. related to physician billing. So definitely watch out for that. Well, and I think with the rise of concierge medicine and other people being frustrated by the red tape of Medicare, you know, depending on where you live and you had the most listened to podcast this year, Andrew. I'm, the... I'm a podcast star, guys. <laughs> I know, because I remember it's like deja vu talking about this um, when the rule came out. Um, but in certain parts of the country, I expect there's going to be more physicians that opt out of Medicare. And so that yes. sort of valid opt out might um, be something more common in certain parts of the country. But anyway... All right, on to the next, right? Anything else yes. to cover on certifying physicians? Now we get to the flexibility part of the wage yes. index rule, which is a kindness that CMS bestowed on hospices. Yes, yes exactly. So as we all know, there are, or I guess were, uh, four required um you know, members of the IDG, we have to have a physician, we have to have a nurse, we have to have a social worker, and we have to have a pastoral or other counselor. So what CMS is doing here is, like you said, giving hospices a little more flexibility. So for that third IDG member, the social worker, now you're not required to have a social worker, but you can instead have a marriage and family therapist or a mental health counselor. So one of those three types of practitioners, um, you know, have to be slotted into that third role, which had been just the social worker. None of the other requirements related to the assessment, related to core services have changed. 
But again, just with respect to who must sit on the IDG, you know, to establish and, and periodically review the plan of care, just in that regard, we have a little more flexibility starting in January of this year. All right. We should have started by saying we're drinking eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting by a fire talking about these riveting changes. Um, but sadly, no, unfortunately not. All right. Now to you, Adam, on the 36-month rule. So we're going to buzz through this because... Rogany and I did a podcast on this when the rule came out, and I, I feel like you and I had mentioned this on podcast too, Adam. But mm -hmm. but what's the skinny on the thirty six month rule? Because in effect, it's already in effect because if your transaction has not already been approved before January one, twenty twenty four, it applies to you. So why don't you um, tell us what's the skinny on this? Yeah. Um, so this was a big deal for hospices this year, um, effective January 1, 2024. Hospices are going to be subject to the 36-month rule, which has already been affecting home health agencies for years. And essentially, it prohibits any change in majority ownership. So 51% of uh, stock or equity or more within 36 months from an initial enrollment or the most recent change of majority ownership. And a caveat, that change of majority ownership is direct ownership, not indirect ownership. But effectively, um, CMS is adding hospice to the existing home health regulation. So the regulation and terms of it will otherwise remain the same. The key takeaway for a lot of clients recently which you've already alluded to, Meg, is that based on commentary in the home health rule, which was just released years ago, any hospice that has a pending change of ownership or change of majority control will be subject to the 36-month rule on January 1st. So it's not like you can sort of cram all of your restructuring in in December, file your applications with Medicare for a December effective date and uh, get around the 36-month rule. Well, I am still expecting phone calls of people surprised that because it, it can take six months or more to get your paperwork approved. And so I wonder if there's some folks who thought they bought something and had a provider number that then, you know, yeah. now, now you have to essentially get a new provider number. I mean, it's not that you don't quote, own the assets or whatever, but I mean, you don't have a provider number. So again, cash flow problems, <laughs> going yeah. back to point one, cash flow problems. But yep. um, so then the the next couple things all relate to um, provider enrollment kind of things. What do we have going on here? A few new items. One is that hospice has been moved to the high risk screening category. It was moderate before that. Um, the practical effect is not major, but anyone with a 5% or greater direct or indirect ownership in the hospices now are subject to fingerprinting and background checks. Significant in sort of where it signals CMS is headed and what they're thinking about hospices, practically not going to have a, a major impact or chilling effect on hospices. And then there, there's been a new 855 released, and this is the form that hospices and all providers use to 
update enrollment information. So CMS released a new form and they've made a couple changes to that. Um, one is a requirement to identify if you're owned by private equity or a real estate investment trust. And so again, looking at what CMS is interested in, and we've kind of harped on this before, but they really want to know who the owners of hospices are, uh, sort of all the way up the chain. And then we've seen an expanded definition of the term managing employee, or rather a, a clarification of that definition. Um, it now expressly includes medical directors where it didn't before. And so I think it was fairly common practice not to report medical directors for hospices and CMS has modified the definition just to include medical director to clarify that they do need to be disclosed as a managing employee. So, and this probably doesn't mean all of your physicians, it just, you know, every hospice has one medical director. I guess someone could say the physician designee too, so who's the medical director in the medical director's absence, um, but, but yeah. it shouldn't be all of your hospice physicians who do IDG or whatever. So that's something that's going to affect every single hospice in the country, right? Everyone has a medical director. Everyone has to file an 855. And so, you know, when to do that would be probably if you're making other updates as you should be, right, to keep your mm -hmm. 855 updated. You get a new board member, you know, someone leaves, you know, all that stuff, you know, make a reminder to to update. Or if you're in the middle of a revalidation, you add it then. Yep. But, and yeah, and we've seen the max already enforcing this new definition um, for updates to provider enrollment that we've been in the middle of not having anything to do with updating medical directors, but we've seen analysts come back and uh, sort of proactively request disclosure of medical directors now, um, even if the, the pertinent changes that we're filing are unrelated to medical directors. All right. Drum roll, Andrew. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> I'm not. So last last issue before we go into you know brighter news, which is deactivation. So if you're not billing Medicare, you know you could get deactivated. It was generally like 12 months or something. So what's this change? Essentially, they shortened that period of time um, from 12 months to six months for for non-billing to um, result in, in deactivation. Essentially, providers really kind of need to be aware that they are billing, even if, you know, we're talking about an entity that they don't use too much. I mean, it does. you do need to uh, show that it's active and, and bill every, at least every once in a while. Otherwise, you're going to lose the ability to continue using that into the future. And I think we're here kind of most focused on maybe if you have like a Part B enrollment because you have a non-hospice palliative care business line, you know, that's obviously maybe secondary to your, you know, Part A hospice line of business. Um, you know, and if you're not using it that much, you know, again, just kind of be be aware that essentially, you know, use it or lose it here. You, you got to, you know, be active with billing. Otherwise, CMS isn't going to allow you just to kind of be out there, not bill, you know, they want to see that their enrolled providers are active. 
Well, and I think this was really targeted at the buying and selling of provider numbers, people having a backup number just in case that they never really mm-hmm. used. And, you know, having this market of people who got provider numbers with no intention to ever use it, but then be a plug and play for someone who thought this was you know, going to be a great business that I'm going to make a lot of money immediately. And now you can see the writing on the wall here, which is that is not going to happen because if someone wasn't using your number, even if you bought it and, you know, we've seen this happen, it's deactivated. And now again, all this cash flow problems comes up again. And then when you do have your number, then you're going to probably get you know, the TPE for, you know, new provider enrollment that we started talking about. And so it is not for the faint of heart. So anyway, it was an exhausting list of um, (laughs) new things. And I think while, you know, it's been a year ago since the New Yorker article came out, and a lot of this is, you know, an outgrowth of that, I think people can see how some of this stuff does impact. I've been a hospice for 40 years. This does impact you too, some of this stuff. So, you know, it, it's it's important to be mindful. So I don't think anyone can really tune out of, of all the things we just talked about. But now reading the tea leaves or, you know, making our – our predictions for 2024. So what do we think is going to happen in 2024? I predict that CMS will allow nurse practitioners to certify hospice patients. Ooh. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. That's not happening. Well, you do have, you know, a large audience with your highest, you know, listen to <laughs> podcasts. So maybe CMS will listen to you and say, Yes, Andrew, that is very wise. <laughs> that would promote access. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, exactly. you know, there's, to the extent there's a practitioner shortage, you know, more flexibility. No, but I, I actually don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think that CMS probably is going to double down on some of these provider enrollment, you know, initiatives and really, I think, just kind of make it a little bit harder to participate successfully in the Medicare program. I th- also think CMS is probably going to have its hands full with the special focus program and kind of getting that, you know, ramped up and implemented. So, yeah, I was thinking about this question, Meg, and I'm not I don't have any like, I think, real good predictions here other than I, I, I kind of just see CMS stay in the course on some of what what they've been doing in 2023. Yeah, Adam, what's your vote? I'm kind of feeling the same thing Andrew is there is um uh Picos 2.0 is anticipated to be rolled out early 2024 um and so as part of that the the pro is it should be a lot easier to make all of these updates that providers are required to make but uh, from what i've heard about Picos 2.0 and um how CMS is kind of developing that is to provide more coordination with uh, state secretary of states and the corporate filings. Um, So I think in 2024, we'll see CMS kind of going outside of the 855, probably a little bit more looking at state filings to see if what you've reported to Medicare matches what you've reported 
um, at the corporate mm. level uh, for the state. So could be a little more granular review than we've seen so far. Yeah, well, my vote is with all of you, too. I think that CMS was swift <laughs> and made more changes than they've made I mean, since like 2008, when they rewrote the cops, I mean, there was, there was really, I, I've not seen CMS move so quickly uh, in so many different ways that I think we're really targeted at some of these problems. So maybe the dust settles a bit on this. And as they see what effect these regulatory changes have had, I guess one, one thought I had, and this isn't a rule change, but with the Affordable Care Act, the government had this authority to review claims for, for people on service over 180 days. And I can't remember if it was like a 100% review or something. Anyway, it's never really been implemented. And so it's sort of on the books, but it's never been implemented. And I think you know, that sort of gets into the the audit and enforcement realm. But I just wonder if we're going to see, you know, less of these kinds of changes and more um, pushed into just the enforcement side of this, because I think they want to chill the rapid growth and sort of the unscrupulous players. But then I think that everything's not hunky-dory. There are still concerns about who's receiving hospices and stuff. If I were going to have my holiday miracle here, so I'm going to go into like miracle realm now. And maybe I should ask you guys this question too, but like that we would rewrite the whole hospice benefit in 2024, because I think it is so broken and doesn't make any sense and really doesn't provide the best end-of-life care for folks. Um, and so I really, you know, I've harped on this for now a long time. The six-month prognosis standards just so arbitrary and doesn't really make sense. And But it's like the core of everything. I think like that core just needs, <laughs> we need to rework this. So that would be my miracle of 2024 would be that we would rewrite the whole thing. Which I'm sure, look at, they, CMS can move quickly when they want to, right? We could just redo all of this. That's um, funny that your, your miracle is that, but your actual prediction is this more audits. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but see, it's both my pessimism and yes. optimism <laughs> yeah. married together, the yin and the yang. So, um, but any any other miracles people want to to wish uh, for this season? Man, you're putting us on the spot yeah. here. Uh, well, mine was mine was why mine. What did you say? Peace and harmony. Peace and harmony. Oh, <laughs> I love that too. So, well, you have the last word, Adam. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think the rewriting the regulations or changes to the benefit um, would be a huge wish um for 2024 <laughs> but we've been doing a lot of yeah a lot of palliative care stuff and it would be nice to see that area of the industry uh gain more traction and kind of formal recognition from cms on how to regulate it how to pay for it oh and who's i love that it. that's a great wish too oh <laughs> we should change the title of this podcast to Wish list. Yeah, <laughs> wish list. But no, I think, you know, really launching that community-based palliative care benefit, 
demonstration would be great. And yeah, actually making that a viable, you know, model of care. So, well, this has been fabulous as always. And um, look for, for listeners again, there's a handout that goes through all of the things that we talked about. So you have a short, quick list of what is it that we said? Because it is, it is truly a laundry list. So, uh, and as always, thanks for, thanks for listening. And thank you, Andrew and Adam. It was riveting. Thank you for having <laughs> us. It was riveting. riveting. Yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. Well, that's it for today's episode of Hospice Insights, The Law and Beyond. Thank you for joining the conversation. To subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at hushblackwell.com or sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may the wind be at your back. Bye.